If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the uh, Gospel according to Luke again. We'll be in Luke chapter 7, and we will begin reading in verse 11 in just a moment. Luke chapter 7 and verse 11. And last week when we met together, of course, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke from the very beginning. We made it to chapter 7. Last week we looked at the first part of chapter 7 where Jesus healed a centurion's servant. You remember what happened, that, uh, that Jesus went to Capernaum. That was where he was uh, kind of housed as far as his ministry goes. He was at Capernaum. This, uh, this centurion heard that he was there, heard that all the stuff that he'd been doing, and sent a delegation of people to ask to see if Jesus would come and heal his servant, would heal his, uh, his slave. Now, Jesus, you remember the, the centurion's faith was so strong, he didn't even want Jesus to come to his house. He just said, you just say the word and it will be done. I know that's what will happen. I'm a man under authority, so on and so forth. And his faith was so strong that Jesus actually marveled at it. He was, he was surprised. It, it wowed him, so to speak. And so uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to follow up on that. In today's uh, text, Luke records an incident that, again, highlights the power and the lordship of Jesus. So if you found Luke chapter 7 and are able to, I'd ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 11 and read down to verse 17. It says, Soon afterwards he came to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man stood up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This report concerning him went out all over Judea and all the surrounding district. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, as we begin to work our way through the text, if you look back at verse 11, you'll see that Jesus travels to a city called Nain. Now, Nain is only mentioned one time in Scripture, and this is the only place. It doesn't show up in the Old Testament. None of the other gospel writers record this incident. This is the only place that Nain occurs. So we don't know a whole lot about it. We know that, that it's about 25 miles southwest of Capernaum. So you remember, Capernaum's here, and that's, it's near, near the sea. That's where Jesus uh, was living. That's where Peter lived. That was his town. So he's here. Nain is about 25 miles southwest and about six miles north of Nazareth. You remember Nazareth was where he was raised. So, uh, so it's likely, I think, that Jesus probably had stopped there before. But we don't know that for sure because the Bible doesn't record any other time where Jesus or his disciples went to Nain. But anyway, he goes to Nain. And, um, and the Bible says that it happened soon afterward. Now this is soon after he had healed the centurion slave. And so, uh, so his disciples and a very large crowd are walking with Jesus. Now I've noticed that it's hard to get people to travel with you. Now, if, if you've ever, have you ever tried to get kind of a group to go to from one place to another and you try to form maybe a, a convoy or something like that and it's hard to get people to actually go with you. It's, it's a good idea. A lot of people like the idea of going from point A to point B and going to see a show or going to do whatever it is. But when it comes time to actually do it, a lot of times people just don't. And all of a sudden things come up. These people were not going in an ice air-conditioned car. They were walking with Jesus for about 25 miles from Capernaum down to Nain. Now, no doubt many of these people were there to see what in the world was going to happen next. 
They had heard about Jesus. They, they, were, they had heard about, maybe they knew some of the people that Jesus had healed. They had heard about this paralytic that was let down through the roof and Jesus healed him at Capernaum. Maybe, we don't know why all they went. Maybe some of them thought that he was really the Christ. Some of them were probably just there to, 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 to see what this new teaching was all about. But anyway, this large crowd was going with Jesus. And verse 12 says that as he approached the gate of the city, he met a funeral procession. Now, in that part of the world during, uh, during this time period, cities were not like they are today. See, today, when you go to a city, it's wide open. I mean, you, you, there, there are all kinds of roads going in and out of the city, and you can get in about any way that you want. But back then, in that part of the world, cities were surrounded many times by a large stone wall to keep them safe because there were all kinds of marauding bands that would come and, and try to attack different places. And there would be a gate or a series of gates where people could go in and out, and it was easy to defend that way. And so these people were all kind of funneled down into this, into this gate that was exiting the city. And their funeral procession was a lot, it was somewhat different than ours. See, in, in this part of the country, it's still pretty respectful, isn't it? I mean, when, when, when you drive down the road, if there's a funeral procession, it's not uncommon. It's less common today than it used to be. But it's not uncommon to see people pull over to the side of the road and they'll stop. Sometimes I've, I've seen men that are out on, you know, maybe directing traffic or something like that. As, as the, the family and, and everybody is approaching, they take their hat off as a sign of respect. It was, they, they had different, the, the particulars were different, but it was still a very important thing in the life of the community. And so what would happen is um, they didn't have the, the, the way that we have with refrigeration and embalming and stuff like that. Today, if somebody passes away, you can kind of choose when you're going to have visitation. You can choose the day of the funeral. They didn't have that. They were in the Middle East. It's hot. They didn't have the, the, the methods of embalming that we have today and treating the body. So because of the rapid putrefaction, means they got stinky fast, um, what would happen is many times people were buried the day that they died. And so what they did is, is they, would, they would put them on a, 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 a little a carrier, a little platform, and they would carry him out. And as people saw what was happening, see, today when we see a funeral procession, we stay out of the way. But when they saw a funeral procession, they would join in. So as they saw this, this, this procession going by and this young man that was, that was being carried out, people from the city, as they saw that, they would join in this procession. So it would constantly be getting bigger and bigger. Something else that was different is they would also hire professional mourners, and so they would have people that they would pay money to who would weep and cry and make a scene. And so, so just imagine this in your mind. There's this big procession going out of the city, and it's getting bigger and bigger. There's weeping and, and wailing on top of the people who actually knew the young man. And they were going out of the city because today we have cemeteries and, and things like that within city walls or within, within city borders. Sometimes it's even around a church. Sometimes some of the old churches, even within the church, they didn't do that because of, of all the noxious fumes that would be given off, all the harmful things that would be given off from decomposing bodies. They always took them outside the city, except for King David and, and, his, and his house. So anyway, they, they were going out of the city. Every death is a tragedy. But some deaths are more tragic than others. Um, this one was especially tragic. If you'll notice, look at verse 14 again. It says that Jesus called him a young man. 
He was a young man. We don't know how old he was, but almost certainly he would have been in the prime of life. And when we hear of somebody who's, who's passed away in the prime of life, whether it be through some kind of an illness or an accident, it's, there's, there's a, an increased sense of, of sorrow. Because we have a, a natural reaction, a natural revulsion, if you will, to somebody that dies young because it's so unnatural. And so, so, so there's sorrow. There's, it's, it's sad because this person has died. It's even sadder because it's a young person that dies. But if you'll notice, that verse also says this was her only son. Her only son. No other children are mentioned. Quite possibly, he's an only child. At the very least, he's an only son. Now, in that culture, the oldest son would get a double portion of the inheritance when, when dad passed away. And part of the reason for that is because it was his responsibility as mom aged, it was his responsibility to care for her. And so this young man was the oldest son, maybe an only child. He is gone now. That's, and, and, and the Bible says she's a widow. So we have a, a woman who's lost her husband, a woman who's lost her son in the prime of his life. It's an extremely sad situation. And, and basically, in, in that culture, if you, didn't have a, if you were a woman and you didn't have a husband, you didn't have a, a son to take care of you, then what would happen many times is you would have to depend on extended family to care for you. You'd have to depend on public charity to care for you. And many times... It, this, would be, this would most likely be, be destining her to a life of being a beggar as she finished out her years. So you can, you can see this is an extremely sad situation. I, and I want you to just have that picture in your mind. So here's this pr- procession coming out of the city walls. It's getting bigger and bigger, and they're met by Jesus and another crowd that's very large. And, 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 and we have one group that's weeping. And one group that's probably excited because they've seen Jesus do these miraculous things. And so there are all these people to witness this. Now, before we move on to the main point of this account, I want you to know that Jesus got there just the right time. Jesus got there at just the right time. Now, at first glance, it would appear that this was some sort of fortuitous chance meeting. That Jesus just happened to be there at just the right time. But Jesus didn't happen to be there. There was no happenstance. There was no, there was no serendipitous arrangement. It wasn't just luck. Jesus was there when he wanted to be. He was there on time. Jesus was, was never late, and he was never early. He was always right on time to do his Father's will. You think about Lazarus. He loved Lazarus. He loved Mary and Martha, their sisters. Lazarus died. Jesus didn't show up for four days. He'd been in the grave four days. It looked like he was four days late, but yet he was right on time. Jesus was always where he needed to be, and the same thing is true today. And I, I mention that because sometimes, we, of course, we don't have Jesus in the flesh walking around with us. But sometimes we pray, and we ask God to, to, to work, to intervene in a certain time frame. God, I want you to do this, and I want it done pronto. I, I, I need this done right away. And sometimes God answers in that time frame, and sometimes He doesn't. But listen, He's never late. God's not hindered by traffic. Maybe you've had good plans to be at a certain place, and you saw, I'm leaving in plenty of time. 
but she didn't. Uh, you, you hit all the lights wrong, there's a traffic accident, there's all kinds of things, and, and you run late. He didn't have to juggle schedules. He, he doesn't have to juggle schedules to make things work. He's not, he, he doesn't oversleep. He doesn't hit the snooze button too many times. He is always right on time, right where he needs to be. Right on time to always fulfill his will. Now look at verses 13 and 14. And, and this is the apex, if you will, of the miracle. And I've broken the miracle up into three headings, all that begin with the letter S to kind of help me remember, maybe help you remember. And if you're writing your Bibles, you might, you might underline or circle or put a, some, some kind of uh, marking to, to highlight these phrases just so you can see them visually. The first is in verse 13, and that is Saul. Jesus saw this woman. Jesus saw the woman. Now you, say to, say, you might say to me, well, of course. How could he not see her? He's walking into the gate that she's coming out of, and there's this huge procession. How could he not see the woman? But I think that there's more here than just light, bounced off the woman, entered through his people, hit the retina, went up through the, through the optic nerve into his brain, his brain interpreted the light and said, that's a woman. I think there's more here. He saw the woman. He took note of her. He noticed her. He noticed her pain. And listen, a prerequisite for any ministry is seeing somebody. A prerequisite for ministry is seeing others. And we know that, but how many times do we fail to do that very thing? Because we're, we're so busy looking at our phone. We're so busy checking Facebook. We're so busy playing a game. We're so busy doing whatever it is that we don't, number one, we don't even see people. Light doesn't even bounce off them and hit our, our retinas. But much less, we don't see them. Jesus saw the woman. And if, if we're not so busy looking at her phone, she say, Pastor, that's not me. I've got a dumb phone. Even my smartphone is dumb, I think. Well, that may be. But how many times do we rush around so much? Because we have so much stuff going on in our lives. And, and we, have, we, we have school and work and, and, and kids and practices and 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 birthday parties, and deadlines, and, and church, and paying the bills, and, and doing all these things, doctor's appointments, we have all these things that keep us from seeing the people around us. But Jesus didn't do that. He saw the woman. And listen, today, He sees you too. He sees you as well. Because, and this is important because sometimes we feel like God's forgotten about us, doesn't it? It feels like He doesn't, he, he doesn't remember us. He doesn't remember our names. He doesn't see us. Sometimes it feels like, like we're out on the ocean, got no anchor, and there's not even a search party. It feels like we're all alone in whatever it is that we face. It feels like God has forgotten us. He doesn't even see us. But today, in whatever it is you're going through, Christ sees you. Second, first he saw, second, he sympathized with her. He sympathized. Look at verse 13. My Bible doesn't translate it as sympathize. My Bible calls it he had compassion. Same idea. He had compassion. The word that's used there in the original language means to be moved in the inward parts. To be moved in the inward parts. Today we might say that his heart went out to her. As he saw her, he was stirred up on the inside. This is that feeling you get whenever you see the St. Jude commercials. 
And see those precious little children that are, that are battling cancer? You hear about that family that's lost their home in a fire? You hear about any number of situations, you see it, you hear it, and something inside is stirred up. You have this, this tangible feeling. You want to help. You want to give. You want to come to their aid. You want to relieve their suffering. That's what he felt. He felt that for this woman. He had the, the desire, he had the means, and he helped. Now we can say, well, I'm happy for her, but I'm not her. What does that have to do with me? Listen, the same Jesus that we read about here is the same Jesus that's in heaven now, interceding to the Father on our behalf. Just think about that. This Jesus that we read about is in heaven today, interceding to the Father on your behalf. The book of Hebrews in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, tells us that He is a, a great and merciful high priest that rushes to the aid of those who need Him. It says, Therefore He, Jesus, had to be made like His brethren in all things, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since He Himself was tempted in that which He has suffered, He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. In other words, it's not just that Jesus is omniscient, He knows everything, but He actually can identify with our pain because He's been through it. Psalm 34 and verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Likewise, Psalm 116, verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints, or of His godly ones. The list could go on and on and on. And Christian, I ask, what is it you need today? Because you have a Savior who understands. He is a sympathetic high priest. So first, Jesus saw then he sympathized, and the last thing I want you to see in verses 13 and 14 is that he spoke. He spoke, first verse 13, he spoke to the woman and told her, do not weep. Do not weep. Now, sometimes, maybe you've experienced this, maybe you've done this, somebody will be, they'll have experienced a loss, and some well-meaning person will come along beside them, put their arm around them, and what they say, don't cry, don't cry. Part of it is because they don't have any idea what to say in a situation like that because there's nothing you can say to make things better. And part of it is because they're uncomfortable, I think. They're uncomfortable with this grief that's being shown. This makes them feel out of place. They don't know what to do. That's not what Jesus was doing. He wasn't coming up to the woman saying, Oh, don't cry. It'll be okay. No, I think his words are building anticipation. He's saying, don't weep. It's like, it's like he's saying, get ready. Something big's going to happen and you're going to want to see this. He spoke a word of comfort to this woman. He spoke a, a word of relief to this grieving widow and mother. But second, he spoke a word of life to the man. Look at verse 14. It says, he came up and, and touched the coffin and the bears came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, Arise. Now, Jesus touching the, the coffin would have been a huge breach of protocol. Because, and even today, if there's a funeral procession, we stay out of it, right? We don't want to hinder things. That's why if there's a funeral procession, you don't just hop in the middle of it when you're driving. 
I've seen people do that. But we, don't, we, we shouldn't do that, right? Because we don't want to interrupt things. We don't want to mess up. We're just leaving them to their grief. So there was, there's the protocol that you would have been breaking, but also the law said that if you touched something that a dead person had touched or was in, you were ceremonially unclean for a day. If you touched the dead person, you were ceremonially unclean for a week. But what I notice is, for everybody else it went that way, but with Jesus it went the other way. In other words, when Jesus touched the thing, it didn't defile him. What he touched made it holy. And so he, he, he stopped, he, he put his hand out, touched it, they stopped, and he spoke to the man. He, he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Arise. He spoke a word of life to the man, and he arose immediately and began to speak. So he, he brings this, this comfort, this relief to the one that's grieving, that's hurting. He brings a, a life-giving word to the man who's dead. And notice this man didn't contribute anything to his being raised except his death. He didn't earn Jesus coming along to, 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 to do this. He didn't give any kind of contribution to it. The, the totality of his contribution was the fact that he was dead. Jesus, by a sovereign act, bestowed life on this man. And, and in many ways, this is a picture of of salvation because the Bible says that each of us is dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says that we don't contribute anything to our salvation except the sin that makes it necessary. We're not the recipients of eternal life because we've earned it, because we've done something that makes God pleased with us and therefore He bestows this life on us. No, it's solely an act of grace on, on the basis or through faith. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 9. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Jesus saw, He sympathized, and he spoke. He acted. He spoke a word of comfort to the grieving and a word of life to the dead man. Now, the last thing I want you to see just very briefly is fear and fame. Just imagine that you're in that procession and you see this big crowd coming up and this man steps out and, and, and stops, stops everything. You're probably thinking, who does this man think he is? And then all of a sudden, he speaks to the man and says, arise, and the man sits up. I'm sure there were lots of people that were screaming. They were terrified that this one that they had seen be dead is now sitting up talking. Imagine that. It would terrify anybody. And it scared them. It says that fear, verse 16, fear gripped them all. 
But they didn't just say, oh no, and ran away. But rather they saw what, it, what had happened. Understandably, they reacted with fear. But then they began to glorify God because of what he had done. And news about Jesus and what he had done spread like wildfire. So much so that it even got to John the Baptist, who at this time was in prison a long ways away. And that sets up the next scene that we'll be looking at next time, because John then sends a, a, a group of people to Jesus to ask, are you, are you the Christ or should we look for another? Now these people rightly concluded that Jesus was a prophet. They said, God has visited his people. He's done amazing things. Yes, Jesus was a prophet, though that is true, but he was much more than a prophet. He is no less than God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. Jesus came, he, he did these miraculous things, and he was just at the right place at the right time. He went where he needed to be, he saw who he needed to see, he saw, he sympathized, he spoke, he did this amazing, miraculous work, he had compassion towards this woman, and he raised this young man to life. And friends, today, Jesus stands ready to do the same thing in your life. Do you need him to show up? Do you need a touch from him? I'm not going to stand here and say if, if you'll just... If you'll just Pray that everything is, you're never going to have any more troubles. That's not reality. But listen, sometimes we feel like God's forsaken us and he hasn't. Jesus is a great and merciful high priest. The, the word that's, that's used in the book of Hebrews, it talks about him coming to the aid. It, it has the idea of running. Jesus rushes to the aid of his people, of those Christians that need him. And one of the great truths I want you to walk away with today is that Jesus can bring spiritual life to you just as he brought physical life to this man. Not on the basis of what you've done, not on the basis of, of anything good within you, but on the basis of his grace. Not because you deserve it, not because I deserve it, because none of us do, but solely on the basis of his grace and his mercy. The question is, I don't know anybody's heart, but I'm going to ask you, have you ever cast yourself on Christ's mercy? Have you, have you ever turned from your sin, repented of your sin, confessed it? Because the Bible says that if you will, if you will confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll experience new life that Christ offers. You say, well, Pastor... I'm too old for that. I've spent too many years, I've, I've, I've wasted too many years of my life. That's not biblical. The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, Pastor, I'm at the other end of the spectrum. I'm young, I've got a lot of years ahead of me. This was a young man. Age doesn't determine how much time you got. Because death is coming for each of us. And so, it, it is wise for us today, well, still go today, to make sure that we are right with God in Christ. Once stand with me as musicians come. Now see you bow your heads and close your eyes.
this incident in the life of Christ has so much to say to each of us, no matter where we're at, no matter what stage or phase we're at in our lives. To the unsaved, it's a picture of the life that Christ can give you. Saved to the Christian, it's a reminder that he sees us, he's not forsaken us, he's not forgotten us, he sympathizes with us, he understands what we're going through, but then he acts as well. He spoke those words of comfort, words of life, relief. Sometimes, I talked about this last week or week before, sometimes whenever God answers our prayer, sometimes it's to answer the way that we've asked, and sometimes His answer is, my grace is sufficient. Maybe you have some need in your life, some friend, some loved one, who needs a test from God? They have a spiritual need, a physical need. Lift that person up in prayer. Heavenly Father, as each of us has um, different stuff on our hearts, we have those people in our lives. Maybe it's, maybe it's us that needs your touch. God, I pray that you would work in those situations as, as is needed. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be an encouragement to those who are, uh, is, uh, their, their strength is, is all but given out. Lord, I ask that you would, would strengthen them, would comfort them. God, for that person who is, who is maybe up until this point in their life, they've never um, turned from their sin and turned to, to Christ as a Savior. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and let them become your child today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.